Praise the Lord. Amen. The word of God comes from us today from James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. It's the word of God. It states, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of God. Um, It's great to be here Uh, today. Let me introduce myself. I am not Luke Hirsch. My name is David Kang. Um, I'm an associate pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church. I've been there since 2008. Uh, A couple things about me. I am a townie. I was born here in 1977 at Carl Foundation Hospital. Uh, My parents, they they weren't born here. They were born in South South Korea. Uh, They immigrated here. And my dad actually in downtown Champaign, he owned a wig store. It was called the Quake Shop. K-W-I-G. Why? I don't know why. And he doesn't know why either. Uh, but uh, the Lord captured his heart here in Champaign-Urbana. Really just revitalized his soul. So sometimes he was actually glad when customers would not come in because he would just read the Bible and he would preach the mannequins that they would come alive for the Lord. But um, after that, in 1980, my parents moved to the Chicagoland area, and ever since then, I've been back and forth. Uh, spent half my life here in Champaign-Urbana. Went to school here from 95 to 2002, stayed an extra year. I taught high school chemistry at Danville High School, and then I taught in the suburbs of Chicago, went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Got married in 2004, was a youth pastor in the Chicagoland area, moved back here in 2008. Um, have four kids, one wife, yes, four kids, one wife. <laughs> And my wife is wonderful. Uh, currently, she's a professor at Illinois State University. She teaches in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction, specifically for literacy. Um, but I love this town. I love being here and the richness of the churches here. It's incredible. It really is just incredible to see the, uh, the um, community that we, we have amongst Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what race, in gender, we are all one in Christ and we can worship him together. So I'm excited for what God could do here this morning. Thank you for having me. Enough about me. Let's speak about the Lord. <clears throat> let, me, uh, let, me, let me ask you to tap into your imagination a little bit as we start off. Okay? Imagine there is a bank account that credits your account each morning with $86,400. That's pretty good, right? $86,400. But there's a couple things. It carries over no balance from day to day. Every evening that bank deletes whatever part of the balance you fail to use during the day. What would you do? Draw out every cent, of course. And each of us has such a bank. And its name is time. Every morning it credits you with 86,400 seconds. And every night, it writes off as lost whatever it is you have failed to invest to a good purpose. It carries no balance. It allows no overdraft. 
Each day, it opens a new account for you. And each night, it burns the remains of that day. If you fail to use that day's deposit, the loss is yours. There's no drawing against tomorrow. You must live in the present on today's deposits. The clock is running. So what will you do? What are you invested in with your life? What are you invested in with your 86,400 seconds? Or every single day of your life? There are so many things to invest in, especially here in America. So many things to invest in, so many choices that we have. And every decision that we make is an investment into something. And these choices, there are our choices. God has made us with choice because we're made in the image of God. We have the ability to choose. These choices are real and they matter. So if you're going to invest in anything, invest in the eternal. And if you have the eternal, don't sell it, but go deeper and deeper into that investment. So there's going to be three things that we talk about here this morning. Invest eternally, invest in God's will, and then lastly, invest correctly. And you have that outline here in your bulletin. So if you want to follow along, take notes, feel free to. It's your choice. So first of all, invest eternally. Life is short. That's what we see in James chapter 4, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time that vanishes. And that's what our lives are in comparison to the rest of eternity. Our lives are simply a mist. That mist, if you know it, if you just go outside in the, in, the, in, the, in the morning, you'll see the dew, you'll see the mist. It appears for a little time and then after a few minutes, it disappears. And that's how our lives are. Our lives are shorts. It may not always feel like it. Maybe for you right now, you're like, Pastor David, this is too long of a sermon already. It may feel like you're taking forever. It may not feel like your life is short. But we must remember that our lives are short in comparison to the rest of eternity. Therefore, invest in what profits eternally. That's what James is trying to say. That's what God is trying to tell us with all of our lives. Invest what profits eternally. Because our short lives affect our eternity. That's why it says at the end of verse 13, Make a profit. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. These are business terms. That people are trying to make a profit. And that makes sense in terms of business. But just, just don't make a profit here on earth. Think about what will profit eternally. And that's important for us to remember. Because there's a lot of people in this world that want to make a profit. And they know that life is short. And they think, since life is short, I'm just going to do whatever I want today. You know, in the 1960s, around the Vietnam War, um, people's mentality was pleasure now, consequences later. And that has continued since that time. Pleasure now, consequences later. Because people lost hope in the government. People lost hope in religion. People lost hope in truth. Postmodernism came into play. So they're thinking, since we don't know what tomorrow's going to hold, pleasure now, consequences later. But that is foolishness. You always need to remember that your actions have consequences. 
We need to think about what these consequences will lead to. We must consider it. Because when you die, you cannot take your material goods into eternity. As we saw in the scripture reading, Matthew 16, 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I think that's something that we need to continue to linger on, ponder and just sit upon. What will it profit a man if he forfeits, if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Because that's so many people in this world, but maybe some of us in the church. Um, let me give you an illustration of what our lives are like. Our lives are like this whole mic stand to the wire that goes all the way to the back. Imagine with me that this mic stand going down to the wire, going all the way around, goes, continues down to Green Street, Chicago, Wisconsin, continues, that's eternity. That's a timeline of eternity. Goes past Wisconsin, Canada, Antarctica. You understand. Continues, 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 continues. That is just a glimpse of eternity. And what are our lives in comparison to the rest of eternity? Just this fuzzy piece right here. If you really think about it, or maybe even smaller, just this fuzzy piece right here, that's what your life is. And a lot of people, their mentality is, I want to have so much fun right here in this fuzzy piece. I'm going to spend all of my life just pursuing pleasure on this fuzzy piece so that the rest of this part, I can just relax on a beach, which isn't bad. It's okay to relax on a beach. But they're not thinking about the rest of their eternity. They aren't. In comparison to the rest of eternity, are you really willing to forfeit your soul for this? What happens here on this life, through this portion of our lives, affects the rest of our eternity in that way. And Scripture tells us that those that do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, if they never do on this part of their life, if they say, Christ, I don't want to be with you here in heaven, then in some ways Christ says, okay, then you won't be with me eternity. You will suffer without the grace of God for eternity. But if you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord during this portion of your life, you'll exist with him eternally in heaven. But that's not it. It's not just about being justified in Christ. But also, after you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you have, what you do with this portion of your life affects your experience in eternity. Your sanctification, your process of glorification is affected here on this earth and it affects the rest of your eternity. How so? I liken it to a wedding. See, generally everyone that's invited to a wedding, they're usually happy for the bride and the groom. They are. Let's say that there's a person that barely knows a bride and the groom. But they go. They go to the wedding. Of course they're going to be happy for the bride and the groom. But who's going to be happier, that person that barely knows the bride and the groom, or the bridesmaid and the best man? Of course the bridesmaid are the best man, because they've been with that bride and the groom for a long time, through thick and thin, seen good times and bad times for that bride and the groom. So they're going to be so much happier. 
It's contingent. The amount of our joy, the amount of that joy at that wedding is contingent upon that relationship with the bride and the groom. And I think so it is in heaven. That the amount that you know Christ here on this earth with your short life will impact the amount of joy that you have for all of eternity. No wonder why the apostle said, Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 to 11, I want to know Christ and not only the power of his resurrection, but check this out. This is crazy. Um, should I, say, I don't know if I should say but this is crazy talk. Not only the power of his resurrection, but the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Ooh. Who wants to know Christ to that extent? You want to know power, but you want to know suffering? But Paul, he wants to know all of Christ because Christ, he is a glorious one. And he knows in his mind that his relationship with Christ here on earth will affect his relationship with Christ in eternity. Life is short, but God is good. And God wants us to have a good life, not only here on earth, but all of eternity. So we need to constantly ask, our, ask ourselves, how will what I am doing now impact eternity? Even your moment right here, it may feel like a waste. Anytime praying, reading the Word of God, anytime investing in souls, it is never a waste. You are never the same again. That is the grace of God. We see this, invest eternally, but secondly, invest in God's will. What should we invest in? Invest in God's will. Because there are so many things that we can invest in. But investing in God's will is the most important thing we could do with our short lives. It says in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Oftentimes we say, if I will, we don't say, if the Lord wills. Oftentimes we say, my will be done, not God's will be done. Oftentimes we will say, God fit into my plan. God fit into my will. But isn't that ridiculous? God, the maker of heaven and earth, all things. We're saying, God fit into my plans. The God who knows the best plan ever. Saying, no, you follow my plan. Life is not, meant, is not meant for us to fit God into our will, but us to fit into God's will because God is so good and our perspective is too small. God knows what is best for us. So, invest in God's will. Now, there's two wills of God in life. There's God's unrevealed will and there's God's revealed will. Let me talk about God's unrevealed will. See, God's unrevealed will is what our decisions will become. Big decisions, such as what career should I have? Whom should I marry? Where should I live? Or small decisions. Should I go to church today or just stay home? Um, what should I eat? Should I eat Jarlings? Or should I go to the Sydney Dairy Barn? What should I do? God already knows all these decisions. Because to him, they're all revealed. They're not revealed to us. They're revealed to him because God is omniscient. But God doesn't force us to make these decisions. 
Last night, my family and I, we went to the Sydney Dairy Barn. That's why I just talked about it. <laughs> Did God force us to go there? You're not going to go to Jarlings today. You're going to, no, of course not. That was my free will, my, my wife's free will. That was her, right? <clears throat> her choice, and I was a good husband. But our choices are really our choices. God has made us in his image with free will in that sense. Ability to choose, ability to love him. Therefore, God knows all things, and even though we don't know all things, God does. That's God's unrevealed will. What our decisions will become. Why am I talking about this? Because as I encounter people, many people are very concerned about God's unrevealed will for their lives. And they try to figure it out. God's unrevealed will by asking for a sign or asking for God to speak to them. Sometimes God does this. Sometimes God does it. But the more conventional way of us figuring out what God's unrevealed will, the more conventional way is to focus on God's revealed will, which is his word. God has given us the revelation that we need so that we can follow his will, what he wants us to do, how to live. The Bible is the instruction manual for life. Isn't it funny that sometimes when you look at Amazon, you're trying to look for, what's a great cookbook? What's a great book about like fixing cars? And they say the Bible for fixing cars, the Bible for cookbooks. So like, oh, this must be a good book. Well, this is the Bible of all Bibles. This gives us everything that we need to live in this world. How so? Because this book gives us the principles that we need to live for God and for his will. It may not tell you, go to the right, go to the left. But it will tell you the principles that you need to receive his grace, his word and prayer, the church. That we need for his grace, but also dispense his grace. He gives us everything that we need to follow him. To ultimately become like Christ. See, unless you focus on God's revealed will in your life, the unrevealed will of God in your life may not become what God intends it to be. Focus on God's revealed will. Get it deep within you. God wants us to focus on this because in this is his mind, is his heart, and is his son. Jesus Christ. So as we read it, as we devour it, what happens to us? It transforms our mind. It transforms our hearts. And it transforms our lives. So that we can become more and more like Jesus Christ. So that now every decision that we make, we're trying to think with the mind of God, with the heart of God. And we're trying to become the hands and feet of God. This teaches us how to follow God's will. And it's like parenting, isn't it? It is. See, when a child is little, a parent tells their children, do this and don't do that. That's one of the things about parenting. Parenting is teaching children what to say yes to and teaching children what to say no to. Or big picture-wise, parenting is teaching children what to live for and teaching children what to die for. But coming back to this, parenting is telling children what to do, what not to do. Because 
when they're little, they don't have all the capabilities, all the wisdom to know what to do, what not to do. So when I'm on Green Street, especially on Green Street or Lincoln Avenue, what I do with my kids, I hold their hands and I say, okay, we could cross the street now, we could go now. And I walk across with them. And if, I, if they're starting to walk when they're not supposed to, I tell them, stop, you don't walk at this point, otherwise you're gonna get run over. But as they get older and older, I teach them the principles, what to do. You know, you look both ways because you gotta ensure your own safety. If there's a car coming, that's not a good thing. That car will defeat you. You're not strong enough. So you should stop and wait. Even if the, the, the walk sign is green, you should look both ways. Because I don't want my son, when he turns 36 years old, to call me and say, hey dad, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know dad, I'm on the intersection of green and right right now. Should I walk right now or should I stop? I don't know what to do. No, because if, that, if I have that type of parenting, I'm not a good parent. Good parents raise up their children to become adults. They free them to do that because they give those principles. And God, he is our parent. He gives us the principles to live by. He gives us his heart, his mind, and teaches us so that every single decision that we make, we don't have to say in some sense, God, what do I do right now? What do I do right now? But as you pray that, but as you read his scripture, as you have that wisdom discernment, you are able to fulfill the will of God with your life. That is our God. If you want to make an eternal impact with your short life, then living out the will of God is the most important thing that you could ever do with your short life. Therefore, master the word of God so the word of God can master you. I'll say that once again. Master the word of God so the word of God can master you. Get into the word of God so that the word of God will come out of you. That's what we need. That here in All Souls Church, all of our churches, that what we learn on Sunday will come out to our Monday to Saturdays, all of our lives. That as we receive his word, we will just share his word with this world. So what do we do practically? <clears throat> Invest correctly. Invest correctly because we are so prone to invest incorrectly. So three things. Three things for all of us. First of all, love Christ, obey Christ, and remember the grace of God. Love Christ. It says in verse 16, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. That's what people were doing. That's why they were investing in their own will. Not saying, if the Lord wills. Because they were just only thinking about themselves. In their motives, they were just only loving ourselves. And that's our tendency. Even for us who are in Christ, that have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord. Because all people, they have a sin nature. We just love ourselves. But the difference between us and non-Christians, Christians and non-Christians, is that when you become a Christian, now... God has given you his spirit, the spirit's nature. So now a Christian is not a person who doesn't sin, but a Christian is a person who is able to fight their sin. That's what a Christian is. But we have to continue to intentionally love Christ in our motive. Because we have this nature desire just to love ourselves. But love Christ in your motive. 
ask yourself every single day, every, and this is what I do, am I loving Christ today more than I did yesterday? Because that's how marriage should be, shouldn't it? Hey, honey, um, I think I love you more on my wedding day than today. Happy anniversary. <laughs> it should not be that way. Even though you know your spouse and your spouse knows you more and more over the years, you should love them more. In the same way, how much more? God is the God of all. He's a lover of us. His love for us is eternal, never improves. So it makes sense. If you're going to love something, love the best thing. So my prayer is, God, I want to love you more today than I did yesterday. And my prayer is that when I am 50, 60, 70, 80, at my death, may that be the day that I love you the most. May the day that I see Jesus Christ be the day that I love Jesus the most. Love Christ and obey Christ. It says in verse 17, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That if you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, for him it is sin. Obey Christ. Because failure to obey Christ is sin. And all sin is failure. Sin is not just doing wrong. But sin is not doing what is eternally right. So if you fail to do these things, we are not obeying Christ. Simply put, how do we obey Christ? I, I'm a simple person. I try to make life simple. And I say just focus on two things. Love God and love people. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love God, love people. And I want to live a simple life, not a sinful life. So I, I really look at those things. Is this going to help me to love God and love people? So I check my heart. God, am I loving with all my heart? And now this means to love you and love all people. Because these are the most important things in life that you could do. Obey God in this way. Um, I just went to Japan. I came back this past Tuesday. I was there from June 9th, and I just came back. A wonderful time. They're doing mission work. I was working with a church. Japan has less, less than 1% Christian. We're working with a church there. And uh, this one pastor, Pastor Katsuya, uh, he would join us for our Bible studies and our morning prayers. And, uh, you know, it, it was great because it's not like he was forced to do that. He asked us, hey, can I join you in your Bible study? Can I join you in your prayer time? And him and his wife, they were just like really praying. And I was thinking, that's a good pastor. It isn't just in front of the congregation, but your private life really impacts your public life. And one thing that he said as we were doing a Bible study, he said the definition of success is obedience. I was like, wow. That definition of success is obedience. And no wonder, even in a country where it's so hard to be a Christian, he's still able to faithfully follow the Lord. I pray that that, that will be our conviction too, here in America that the definition of success is obedience. Because um, another way to put it, definition of success is faithfulness, not necessarily fruitfulness. Because God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Last but not least, remember the grace of God. Remember the grace of God. We are all sinners. 
We have all failed. We all deserve to eternally exist in hell, but James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. That is our good, good father. He just constantly wants to pour us with more and more grace. That if you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he has given you grace to wipe out your sins. That he no longer sees your sin, but he sees his son. So he loves you as he loves his son. But now even after that, because we are prone to wander, we are prone to sin, God still gives us grace so that we can follow him and grow in him. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. So keep on remembering that when you sin, when you sin, glance at your sin, look at your sin, but gaze at your Savior. Learn from your sin, but lean on your Savior and receive his grace. As Christians, we will fail. We will fall. But the greatest failure in living for the Lord is not failure. The greatest failure in living for the Lord is quitting. That's what it is. As you try to obey, you will fail. As you make commitments to read his word, as you make commitments to pray, as you make commitments to love God, love other people, you will fail. Learn from your failures. But do not be afraid of failures. Because as you make these commitments, you will grow in his grace. See, as I fail, I think St. Augustine said this. He said, the closer you come to the Lord, the more that you see your sin. And the more that you see your sin, the greater that you see the grace of God. They go hand in hand. God, how can such a great God be in love with me, such a great sinner? But that is a great paradox of all eternity. He gives more grace. And if God is able to give me grace, God is able to give anybody grace. So keep on making commitments to obey and grow in his grace. Our mentality should be this. If it's the right thing to do, not as quick as possible, but as long as it takes. Not as quick as possible. I don't want to be microwaved. I want to be slow roasted. I want to take in all the juices of God. Sometimes people, they do a quiet time. Oh, very good. And sometimes, you know, you don't have too much time. That's understandable. Sometimes you don't understand God's word, but keep on saturating yourself in the word of God. Keep on coming in. Sometimes when you minister to people, relate with people in the community, they don't become a Christian right away. Not as quick as possible, but as long as it takes. You keep on praying for your family members, for your friends, for your co-workers, because it's not as quick as possible, but as long as it takes. And the same thing for your, for your family, for your friends. Not as quick as possible, as long as it takes. Because that's God's mentality with us. It says not as quick as possible, but as long as it takes. God is invested in us, so invest in him. Love God and invest in people. <clears throat> All Souls Church, my prayer is that we may together live a life that matters eternally. Because you never know when life will end. That's a harsh truth. Um, even last night, my wife, she was on Facebook, 
and uh, she saw that her friend from high school passed away. You know, I, I wrote this message in, in October. I wrote this message in October. I preached it a few times because it's very close to my heart. And the reason why I wrote it in October is because my brother-in-law, on September 15th, he's 41 years old. He was 41 years old. He passed away suddenly. I was preparing to preach a message that night, September 15th on that Friday, and at 4 o'clock, we have service at 7 o'clock, and at 4 o'clock I got a phone call from my other brother-in-law. And he said, David, do you know where Grace is? My wife. And I said, she's downstairs with the kids. And then my older brother-in-law, he said, uh, Steve died. It was hard for me because Steve, he wasn't just my brother-in-law, but he was my best friend. Before Grace became my wife, Grace was Steve's sister. <laughs> so I never thought of her in that way. Because he's my best friend. So it broke my heart. It broke my heart because we weren't anticipating that at all. You never know when life will end. So give your life fully to the Lord. Every single day. <laughs> Love people as best as you can. As best you can, don't hold any grudges. <laughs> Is it worth it? Love people in this community and love the Lord because invest in Him eternally and invest in the eternity of other people because that is what matters. For me, um, sometimes near the end of the night, I'll fall asleep because I'm just tired. And the way that I judge my day is not based upon how much energy I have at the end of the day. The way that I, 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 I gauge my day is if I'm tired, then I gauge, what did I, what am I tired for? And if I'm tired because I was trying to love God, love other people, then I say that's a good day. And I tell myself, never get tired of doing the right thing. Keep on loving God, keep on loving people. Rich Mullins, singer-songwriter, he said this, live like you'll die tomorrow, die knowing you'll live forever. And Abraham Lincoln, he said this, it's not the years in your life that matter, but the life in your years. May there be life in this church. And may we together transform this community, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our great Lord and our great Master, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And we are amazed that you would give your one and only son, that your one and only son would walk, step into time to be the full revelation of God, to be our perfect sacrifice, to give us life so that we can become more and more like you. So God, open up our eyes, open up our hearts. May we live for you. Pray especially for those that are going through difficult times right now. They may have experienced the loss of a loved one in recent days. It is okay to cry because Jesus wept. You understand our tears. You understand our fears. But God, you will help us to live for you. So it is our prayer that All Souls Church will continue to live for you. 
for your glory. May we invest in you because you are forever invested in us. We love you, our God. Pray in Jesus' name.